Hey, good morning, New Spring. Happy Easter. So glad you guys are here. Go ahead and have a seat, both auditoriums. Um, I hope you feel something already here. I mean, thank you for dealing with the traffic jams and the parking and trying to find a seat and all those things in both auditoriums. I know a lot of you are watching online or watching on television. But we just so appreciate you being here for the fifth of our six Easter services. I, what I hope you feel is a sense of purpose and mission. You know, when I was a kid growing up, Easter was just kind of a cultural thing. And it was so common back then for everybody to get an Easter outfit and go to church and then stretch your stuff. And that always went sideways for me because it's a cool thing. I mean, I'm, I, I actually, to be honest with you, Friday afternoon, I was in my office late and I thought, well, I think I need to just go find something for Easter. So I went shopping and I bought this shirt and a sweater. And I'll tell you what happened to me, though. I was in line checking out and the lady behind me just kept staring at what I was buying. And she said, that's a bright shirt, isn't it? And I said, thank you. Thank you. She said, I don't think my husband would have the nerve to wear that in public. So uh, it's never worked out very well for me. But I, I do hope what you feel today is that we didn't get together just to do a cultural gig, sing a few ditties, and just sort of like mark Easter off the calendar. There's a reason and a purpose behind what we're doing today that's very real for us. And I want to talk about that today. Uh, I, I grew up kind of skeptical. And beyond that, I was a debater in high school and college, and so I love logic and I love mixing it up. And so one of the things that I've done in my 34 years here, my 34 Easter's at New Spring, is I talk a lot about proofs of the resurrection, because I think it's one of the most provable events of ancient history, and those sermons are available in the bookstore. But today I want to go a very different direction for Easter. Because I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with in their relationship with God is just trying to make sense out of bad things that happen in our lives. I want to talk about that today because while you just celebrated the depiction of Jesus rising from the grave, on that first Sunday morning, not everybody was celebrating. In fact, on that Sunday morning, there was a woman who had come to the tomb of Jesus and she was crying. We read about it in the Gospel of John chapter 20 in the 11th verse. It says, Mary, now that's not Jesus' mother, this is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was standing outside the tomb crying. Now, the word for crying there in the Greek is, doesn't mean like some of us will be crying for joy in the service today. You know, we'll have tears of joy. It's not that kind of crying. And it's not the kind of crying where something makes us unhappy and there's kind of that solitary tear that comes down our cheek and we kind of sniff a little bit. The word for crying there means the kind of sobbing. Maybe you've been with a friend who was sobbing like this and, and her shoulders, the frame of her shoulders actually quaked or shook with the sobs. Maybe you've cried like that. So we want to know, I mean, since we just celebrated, why is this woman crying? And we're not the only ones to want to know that because, well, let's read this. It says, as she wept, and we know what kind of crying she's doing, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white. Have you ever cried so hard that the tears kind of blurred your vision? You and I know there are angels. I mean, God just told us that, but Mary doesn't know. There's just a couple of guys sitting inside Jesus' tomb, one at the head and one at the feet, and they asked her, why are you crying? I'll unpack that in this brief sermon this morning, but before we do, let's just ask a more fundamental question. I'll bet it's a question that you may never have asked. I want to ask the question, what is crying? See, we don't ask that question because most of us started crying before the meters of our memory started running. 
crying is something a baby does. We were just crying before we remember. I mean, you know, a parent, mom or dad doesn't take a four-year-old and say, okay, son, you don't know how to cry. We're going to teach you. This is how you cry. No, because we don't, ever, we don't even ask that question, what is crying? So let's do it. What is crying? It's a reaction to pain, misfortune, difficulty. If you think about it, we have other human reactions to that, don't we? I mean, for one thing, we can frown. We can screw up the features of our face in a, a frowning look. Or we can just have downcast look. We can just look at the floor. The other day at the house, my two-year-old grandson was there, and I walked into the living room, and he was just staring down at the floor. I didn't know what he was unhappy about. I just knew he was unhappy about something. So, yeah, there's the frown. There's the downcast eyes. There's the shrug that says whatever. But think about it for a moment. In all of those different expressions, you got control. How many times did you feel like frowning, but you didn't frown? would have started an argument if you did, so you just kept a blank look on your face. How many times did you feel like shrugging your shoulders and saying, whatever, but if you did, you might get fired? Or you feel like looking down, but you think, I don't want to bring everybody else down, so you just sort of roll right on. What is the difference between those expressions and crying, the kind of crying Mary was doing? Crying is different. Because crying, crying takes control of us. What is it that we say when you're with a friend and all of a sudden the friend is able to stop crying? We say, well, he regained his composure or she regained control. You ever think about that? Crying, like Mary's doing, means, for lack of better terms, it means life has beaten you. Maybe for a minute, maybe for an hour, maybe for a season, I have friends who go through things that make life never the same again, and you can cry for a lifetime because that's what crying does. Crying says life has beaten you. All right, let's go back to the tomb of Jesus and ask the question, why is Mary crying? Well, I preached this message today, and like I say, it's different from any Easter message I brought before. I preached this message today because I think that the stuff that beat Mary is the stuff that beats a lot of us today. The first thing that she got beaten by as life took her dream away. All of us have dreams for life. We think, this is what my life is supposed to be. This is what I would like to have. This is the education I want. This is the kind of person I want to marry. This is the kind of career I want to have. These are the kinds of things I want to do in my off time. This is what I want to do to make a difference in the world. We have a dream. And Mary had a dream. About a year before, she had started following a guy. Not following him on social media. She just literally started following this person. Because this guy kind of made the promise of a different kind of world. And Mary was hungry for that kind of world. I mean, and, and, and listen, we're in political, is it just me or are we always in an election season anymore? I would love to just get a break from that. And you have all these political candidates that promise this, promise that. Nobody's ever promised what Jesus did. If people were hungry, he could take a kid's sack lunch and feed thousands. If they were sick, he could make them well. If they were paralyzed, he could make them walk again. If they were emotionally and psychologically distressed, he could free them up to think clearly again. And if they were dead, this guy was brutal on the funeral business. He could stop a funeral procession, mid-procession, send the dead person home with their family. I mean, who wouldn't dream of a better world if this guy were leading it? And Mary started dreaming about that. What would the world be like without injustice or pain or racism or hatred or abuse? We start a brand new series next week called Volatile. We're going to be talking about that. Now, that was Mary's dream. 
And I think every night when she went to sleep, in those days when she followed Jesus, she went to sleep with the word imagine on her monitor or dream. And she wasn't the only one. We celebrated Palm Sunday last week when Jesus came riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. People threw palm branches down in his path. They put coats down for him to travel on. And they were crying out a word that said, Hosanna, which simply means be our king right now. Take charge. Make this a better world. And that was Mary's dream. But on Thursday night after dinner, and after a time of prayer, Jesus was arrested. He was charged with a... He was charged with a a crime that led to death. He was tried in a kangaroo court. They ripped his beard out. They beat him half to death, put a cross on his back, made him walk down the Via Della Rosa. He got to the top of this hill called Golgotha, and he laid down on a Roman cross, and they nailed his hands and feet there. And he hung for six hours, and at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon, he died. And Mary's dream died with him. Well, that was bad. It's hard to get beaten in that way if life takes your dream away. But we have a tendency to do something very important when life takes our dream. I mean, after all, if you're 25 years of age or older, how many of us does life work out for the way we thought it was going to? It's just natural to fall back on God. I talked to a friend yesterday, and her life is never going to be the same again because her dream has been taken away. But she said this to me. She said, I believe God still has a plan for my life. So when life takes our dreams away, it's kind of passe now, but remember when we started having GPS systems in our car and you get off course and it says recalculating? And I think that that's what God does in our lives a lot of time. There's a verse in the book of Jeremiah that many people claim is a life verse. Christians sometimes will put it up on their walls and, or Jewish people will put it on their walls. We might wear it as jewelry. And it's God saying, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a hope in the future. So yeah, like I say, when life beats us and takes our dream away, we just fall back on God and say, maybe God's got a different plan. But I want you to think about Mary for just a moment. And maybe this is a bridge too far, but I think we probably should go here if we're going to be academically honest. Life didn't just take her dream away. It took her faith in God away. Because Jesus claimed to be God. There are those who think that Jesus may have been a good teacher, a religious leader, an avatar, or something like that. But the intellectual C.S. Lewis said, that option is not available to us. Because Jesus claimed to be God. He said he either is God or he's a liar or a lunatic. You, you, know, you, you, you don't listen to a liar or a lunatic. And so consequently he was saying the idea that Jesus was not God or that he was just a good man, that's not available to us. So Jesus came doing the stuff that only God could do. And Mary said, I believe he's God. I believe, he can say, I believe he can do amazing things that only God can do. But it wasn't just that Mary had personal reasons for believing that Jesus was God. We first meet Mary in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. And all the Bible says about her was Mary Magdalene, out of whom God or Jesus cast seven demons. Well, we don't know what... There's a lot of tradition about Mary Magdalene. Might be true, might not be true. There's a lot we don't know. But there was a little town outside of Jerusalem called Magdala that was so wicked. It was so full of just the dark side that the town was actually destroyed. And it sent the inhabitants scurrying in all directions. And so there are those who believe that Mary may have well been someone who sold her body and got into the occult and the dark side. And the Bible just simply says she was possessed with seven demons. Well, you read the stories of Jesus and one demon could like wreak havoc in a life, but seven. 
By the way, seven in the Bible is always a number of completion. So maybe that was God's way of saying Mary was so controlled by Satan that she was completely controlled. But then she met Jesus. God moved into her life. But on three o'clock at Friday, on Friday afternoon, he died. Maybe it's just all in her mind. Maybe she really wasn't free. Maybe she was still carrying all those sins that she thought she was free from. So I'm, I'm being honest with you. It's not a comfortable place to be to make this point, but Mary just hadn't lost her dream. She'd lost her faith in God. And maybe it's not worth mentioning considering the magnitude of the first two, but I think she lost her dignity. Because you might be, I, there's somebody out there today watching me, and you're, you're a little bit like me, and you're on the skeptical side, and you can hear something, and you're like kind of waiting for an answer. Because you're saying, hey, Mark, she shows up at the tomb of Jesus on Sunday morning. If she's lost her dream and she's lost her hope in God, what's she doing there on Sunday morning? What's she have left? Just human dignity. Maybe Jesus wasn't who she thought he was, but he'd been good to her, and she loved him, so she's going to when one final act of human kindness, human kindness, human dignity, she's going to go out to his grave and do the embalming right. It's too much information. We're limited on time today. But the reason why Mary needs to go embalm the body of Jesus, well, when Jesus died on Friday afternoon, the Romans usually leave bodies on crosses. But a couple of secret followers of Jesus decided they were going to get his body off the cross with Pilate's okay. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Two issues, though. First of all, ladies, they were men. And secondly, they were politicians. They knew absolutely nothing about burying a body. It was good natured. They had to hurry up and get him in the body before Sabbath, but they had no idea what they were doing. I could tell you what they messed up, but it would just waste our time today. Just settle for this. Mary's going out to the tomb in one final act of kindness to do the job right. And she gets there. And she can't even do that. Grave robbers have stolen his body. Or maybe worse, maybe those who hated him just couldn't even let him have a decent burial. And she gets there, and it's just more than she can take. Her dream is dead. Her faith in God is shattered, and even her dignity. And she just begins to break down and sob because life has beaten her fully and finally. I go here for a reason. Has life beaten you? Maybe you're not crying now, but you do sometimes when nobody's looking, especially if you're a guy. Maybe life took your dignity away. Maybe it took your dream away. And there are some of you perhaps watching, it took your faith in God away. When you were a kid in Sunday school or catechism or in the synagogue, you believed that God was good. You were told that there was a God who loved you and had a plan for your life. But now you're 25 years old or 18 years old or 70 years old. And you're saying, I don't even know if I can believe in God anymore. Maybe it's time for us to remember we're here for a reason today. Because something came along, something happened that reconstructed the whole narrative. Remember before this, there was this guy that walked up to Mary at the tomb while she's crying. And the guy says to her, what are you crying for? Why are you crying? And she said, well, you know, she thought he was the gardener. She said, if, if, if he's too much trouble, would you just tell me where his body is and I'll take charge. But I left out a lot. Let me read what the Bible actually says there. The Bible says this. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. 
Why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who is that you're looking for? She thought he was the gardener, so she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you've put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, I find this so beautiful. I mean, everything changed with one word. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. You feel that? In an instant, it all came rushing back. Her dream, her dignity, her faith in God, just with Jesus calling her name. This is one of the simplest messages I've ever brought at Easter. It all adds up to one thing. Let's just draw a bottom line. If you have Jesus in your life, life can never beat you. For a while, it may take your dream away. You're, you, may, you may be struggling to have faith in God right now. It may take your dignity away. But the moment you have Jesus in your life, life can never beat you. See, I'm not asking you to think about the idea of 2,000 years ago, there was a good man who died on a cross. I'm not asking you to believe that a man was dead. I'm asking you to think about the fact that he arose from the grave. Jesus is not asking you to believe that he died for you only, which he did do, but that he lives and that he wants to be there every minute of your life. If Jesus is in your life, whatever happens, life can never beat you. This is a silly story. I don't know why I'm telling it now at such an important point. But I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And when I was a kid, we had pro football with the Cowboys, but we never had Major League Baseball. I was about 13. We got a team from Washington, D.C. And as you know, anything you get from Washington, D.C., you just can't trust it. They renamed them the Texas Rangers, but they were pathetic. You know, they just always, you didn't have to say how the Rangers do. You knew they lost. That's, that's how they did. But we moved here in 1985, and they built the new stadium. It's not new anymore, but about 20 years ago, my family went, and I went to Texas, and my middle son, Jared, he's in the sports. So I said to him, hey, you want to go to the new Ranger Stadium and take in a game? And he said, yeah. So he and I went out there and we watched the game. And this is old stuff. You have to be an old-school baseball fan to know who I'm talking about. But the Arizona Diamondbacks are playing Rangers, and on the mound for the Diamondbacks, at the end of his career, was this long, tall drink of water named Randy Johnson, the big unit. Poor Randy is one of the ugliest human beings that ever lived. But God said, I'm going to make it up to you, and you're going to throw a baseball like nobody ever threw it before. You know? And Randy was just turning the Rangers inside out. Eight innings, the Rangers couldn't get it. They couldn't catch a break, couldn't get anybody on base. And Mary Alice, my wife, called me at the end of the eighth inning. She said, how are they doing? I said, they're losing. But thankfully, for some reason, the Arizona manager decided to take Randy out of the game. Guess he thought he looked tired. Put in a relief pitcher. A relief pitcher just started walking batters. And then there was a base hit, and long story short, in ninth inning, the Rangers pulled ahead and won the game three to two. And it was crazy down there in the Metroplex. I mean, people were hanging outside their windows and screaming and cheering. It was just bedlam as we all left the stadium. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Yeah, I didn't tell Mary Alice the truth. I told her they were losing. They weren't losing. They were just behind. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you may be behind today, but you're not losing. You can never lose. On the other hand, I could be talking to somebody and you say, Mark, I'm just here because my mom makes, it feel, makes her feel good when I go to church on Easter. I don't believe any of this stuff. 
Because here's how I look at it. I look at it this way. I ain't never seen anybody come back to life. My mama ain't never seen anybody come back to life. I, I just, I, I, I can't see it, so I don't believe it. Have you ever, I mean, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to push back. Have you ever considered the fact that your faith is in ignorance? Because you don't know that's what you believe? What a strange construct. For years, the people in Europe thought that they were, especially those in the coastal parts of Europe, thought the, the, the West Coast, they thought they were the edge of the earth. And in Spain, in the Pillars of Hercules at the Strait of Gibraltar, there was a warning carved into the stone for mariners, which basically said, don't go beyond this place. Ne plus ultra. There is nothing beyond. But then Columbus went and discovered America. And they had to change that. And it's still the motto of Spain to this day. It is simply plus ultra. There is more beyond. And I am not squeamish at all about standing before you and making the point. There is more beyond. If Jesus is in your life, life can't beat you. <laughs> I took Greek when I was studying to be a pastor. I never took Aramaic. It's one of the languages, and I think Mary most likely spoke Aramaic. The reason I say that is because I'm trying to get inside her head. What did, what did, she, what did she feel when Jesus called her name? I don't know what the three words would be in Aramaic, but I know what they are in English. I think it hit her. He's not dead. For all of you who may have lost your dream, maybe lost your faith in God, lost your dignity, the good news of Easter is he's not dead. Oh uh -huh.
You know, last year we lost, I started to say a national treasure, really a global treasure, Billy Graham. Nobody preached to more people in history than Billy Graham. Friend of presidents and kings. But he died last year. He lived almost to be 100. But toward the end of his life, the last 15, 18 years or so, Billy Graham didn't go out in public too much and, because he was in failing health. But uh, to, in his 80s, when he was in his 80s, the leaders of Charlotte, the city where Billy Graham had grown up, wanted to honor Billy. So they had a dinner for him and, you know, they honored him. And then there was a the time for him to get up and speak. And uh, he got up and he told everybody he had a new suit on. And... Uh, then he launched into this story about Einstein. He said Einstein was on a train here in, the, in America traveling somewhere back in the day when you had to have your ticket and the conductor would come through the car and punch your ticket to make sure you had a right to be on the train. So the conductor came through Einstein's car in the train and Einstein couldn't find his ticket. He started feeling around his vest pocket, his jacket pocket, his pants pocket, couldn't find his ticket. The boy who was conductor said, sir, Dr. Einstein, you don't need a ticket. I know who you are. And uh, if you say you had a ticket, I know you had a ticket. Don't, don't worry about it. So he turned around and started checking other passengers' tickets. Then he looked back and he saw Einstein still looking for his ticket. Einstein got down out of his seat on his knees in front of his seat in the train, started feeling around on the floor for his ticket. And the boy came back to him and said, Dr. Einstein, you know, why are you still looking for your ticket? I told you, you don't need a ticket. I know who you are. Everybody in the railroad knows who you are. Everybody in this car knows who you are. And Einstein says, son, I know who I am too. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and Billy said, you know, in my old age, my family tells me I've gotten a little slovenly. He said, I used to be a real flashy dresser. But he said, I bought a new suit for this occasion. And he said, you know, there'll be something else about this suit. I thought about this last year at his funeral. He said, when I die, I'm going to be buried in this suit. And he said, someday you're going to hear that Billy Graham has died. But he said, don't you believe it. I will be more alive than I ever have been before. Because I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. Let, let me invert the message I just brought to you. I said already, if you had Jesus in your life, it can never beat you. Life can never beat you. On the other hand, if you don't have Jesus, there's 100, it's 180 degrees different. Life will always beat you. As I said, let's invert the message. Suppose everything comes out in your dream that you want to happen. If you don't have Jesus in your life, death is going to come, and it's going to beat you. Fully, finally, and forever. Jesus put it this way. He said, what is a person profited if he gained the whole world? All of his dreams materialize, and he loses his soul. If you have Jesus in your life, it can never beat you. I didn't tell this to all the services Friday and Saturday, but I have a college buddy. He pastors a church almost identical to New Spring in Texas. <laughs> you know, I was dating Mary Alice. He was dating Donna. We were in college before, and two couples married, and we've been dear friends. Donna got sick with cancer and died a couple years ago. And this morning when I checked my text, one of the first messages I had was from Griff. And I said, you know, as we think about the resurrection, I can't help but think about heaven because, you know, he and I can't be to, spend as much time together as we'd like to because we're in different places. 
But I said, I can see in heaven you and Don and Mary Alice and me having all the time together that we would like to have. That is what Jesus' resurrection means. If I can get one thing across today, we didn't get together to do a cultural gig, sing a few ditties, and go mark Easter off the calendar. We're here today because Jesus Christ walked out of the grave under his own power and rewrote the narrative of this world. You know what makes Jesus so different from religion? Religion says, get your life all worked out, tied up in a neat bow, present it to God, maybe God will take it. That's religion. This is a relationship. Right now, there's a deal on the, there's an offer on the table. It's time sensitive, but there's an offer on the table. It goes like this. That no matter who you are, what you've done, that God loves you. And Jesus was God in skin. And he came to this world, and for 33 years, he ran the table and lived the life that you and I couldn't live. And then he put that life on a Roman cross, and he paid the price for all our sins. And here's the working deal right now. If you will come just like you are, don't try to fix your life and tie it up and put it in a box. Come like you are. Come declare spiritual bankruptcy before God and say, God, I'm broken, and I can't fix myself. And Jesus will take you as you are. He won't leave you like he found you. But you won't just believe in a dead man. You know, leaders of religions and philosophies can take you to the grave of their founder. We don't do that because it's an empty tomb. He's not just saying, accept my history. He's saying, accept me as the living God who will be with you every minute of your life. And when you come to the point of death, then you'll really start living. Have you ever had that moment? I mean, here's the deal. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not complicated. God's just looking for a big yes. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, both auditoriums, online, on television. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to pray it slowly, phrase by phrase, so you can decide whether you want to own it and say it to God. But if you do, the living God is going to listen. Which is, you don't have to pray out loud. You can just pray in your heart. Would you just bow your heads with me, please? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm broken beyond repair. I believe you love me. I believe Jesus lived the life I can't live. I believe he died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he's alive, I want him as my Savior and King. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name. Hey, you can say, Mark, I have no idea what just happened to me. I said some words with you. I have a box I want to give you. Now, I know we're crowded today, but I, I want to, I want to have, the, the box I have is, has a Bible in it, just like I preach from. And I have ADD. There's a book in there I wrote, but I don't write very long books. But the book will answer a lot of questions, and there's some other cool stuff. It won't cost you anything. It's totally free. Nobody will hassle you. They just want to give it to you. Any info center. There's even a number you can text, and they'll be ready for you. And just stop by and say, I pray with Mark. That's all you need to say. And we want to help you take your first steps walking with Jesus. So and this is, we've got a, a couple more things. Please stay where you are because I, I want you to see what's, what's coming next. But this is my last part of the service. So for my part, let me wish you a happy Easter. May God bless you. He's not dead.